In order to truly become part of the global business environment, your business needs to constantly change and adapt to a variety of new constants. Welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders with Kimberly J. Lewis. We will help you navigate these changes on today's program and help you think beyond the boundaries. The opportunities are limitless if you are prepared. Now, here is your host, Kimberly J. Lewis. Hello and welcome to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host, and for today's recording, I'm back home in Prague. And my guest will be calling in from the other side of the world, from California. So good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you may be listening from today. Welcome back to our returning listeners. And if you are a new listener, let me tell you what this series is about. Leadership Beyond Borders is about the impact globalization is having on our organizations and what this impact is doing to the kind of leadership we need to drive long-term success in today's economy. In this series, we've talked about everything from business issues such as artificial intelligence, and data protection regulations to leadership issues such as gender balance, generational management, and business values that may impact your organization or your individual career. So please download this series. It's on iTunes. It's on Google Play. And in this series, you can listen to great advice, leadership success stories that you can learn from, stories that can motivate you, stimulate new new ideas, and possibly even be the key to your success. I invite you to connect with me. Send me your thoughts and insights to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Connect with me on my website, leadershipbeyondborders.net. Tell me what you want to hear about. I'd love to get a mail from you. If you'd like to be a guest on the show and you are a professional business person with a passion or an expert on a business subject, reach out to me at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. We do have a worldwide audience. But even if you don't want to be a guest, if you're in a leadership position or aspire to be in one, regardless if your business is international or local, make sure you join us each week and we will make sure that you take away something useful either for your business or yourself. So on to today, we're going to talk about today. Show me your friends and I will show you your future. This is a quote from Mark Ambrosi. Such a true quote. How many of you listening really think about how you are influenced by your associations? I know I have, and I have to admit that I've had a few associations in my life that affected me so positively. I've achieved my goals, and I've had others that affected me so negatively that I could not achieve my goals. And when the negative people really started affecting me, I finally got rid of some of the negative associations and replaced them with positive associations, and it made me much easier to focus. I'm not so sure, but I'm sure a lot of our listeners have had the same experience. Okay, this sounds sometimes a little bit hard. Um, you know, a little bit insensitive, kind of just get rid of old associations or old peers. But what the heck? We only live once. And I thought, why should I spend my time with anyone who is a negative force in my life? And you should think about that also. Speaker Jim Rohn says, you're the average of five people you spend the most time with. And the way I look at it, if any of those five people are not helping me focus in the direction I want to go, then maybe I should look about changing them. But many of us as leaders sometimes don't even realize that we're surrounded by 
either negative or positive associations. We tend to think about our positions in isolation. And the old quote, it's lonely at the top, reinforces this thought and a lot of leaders. And leaders, we think we're alone, but this is not exactly true. And our guest today has given this a lot of thought. He's given a lot of thought to leadership pairs and teams, and he's studied the habits and thoughts of many leaders and their associations. He has thought about how positive associations can help you achieve your goals and reinforce what you're doing. And he's also thought about you don't have to do it alone. So our guest today is Leo Botari. He is a sought-after thought leader on peer advantage, an emerging discipline dedicated to strategically engaging peers to realize your business and life goals. He's a popular author, educator, keynote speaker, and his workshop, and he does do workshop facilitation. He advises individuals and organizations worldwide. He has written several books, and his new book, which was just released in September, which I just read, and I can recommend it to our listeners, is called What Anyone Can Do, How Surrounding Yourself with the Right People Will Drive Change, Opportunity, and Personal Growth. Leo has also co-authored a book called The Power of Peers, How the Company You Keep Drives Leadership, Growth, and Success, which provides a look into how and why formal peer groups can be so powerful. Leo also serves as an instructor for Rutgers and Northeastern Universities. And he was an adjunct professor for two of the Seton Hall University's graduate programs. And in April 2015, he was named Adjunct Teacher of the Year for its College of Communication and Arts. He's enjoyed a 25-year career counseling leaders in strategic communication. And at one time, he served as a senior vice president, corporate practice, and director of client services at Knowlton and Hill and Knowlton. And he was also founded founded an award-winning public relations agency. So, Leo, welcome to the show. Quite a resume. <laughs> well, thank you very much for having me today. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay. So, let's start out with your new book. Um, and I just read it, and it's really great. So, what made you write this book? You know, you offered a lot of terrific quotes for everyone to get us started today. And I think this quote was one that inspired me to really write this book. And it's by Seku Andrews. And he wrote that there's an incredible power that comes from surrounding yourself with communities in which you feel small among them, and they look at you like a giant. And so what basically happened was after The Power of Peers uh, was published and was speaking uh, throughout 2016 and into 2017, I also had a podcast in 2017 called The Year of the Peer. And during the year of the Peer podcast, I had these incredible leaders from various walks of life, all incredibly successful people, and really got to talk to them. And the conversation evolved from the content in the first book, which is really about how and why formal peer groups are so powerful for CEOs and business leaders, to looking at it beyond just our peers, beyond people like me and looking at our parents, our kids, our teachers, our mentors and all that, but also taking it just out of the formal space and into just how we live our everyday lives. And unfortunately, the, the closer you look at it, the more people are not always particularly 
you know, open to just inviting other people, you know, into their lives in a way where they could get a lot of help, right? We tend to think that we're just going to do it on our own. We'll figure it out. We want to show up strong. We want to be all of these things. And yet um, we're surrounded by incredible people who are willing to help us. We're willing to help them. And if we do that, uh, we're all going to lift ourselves up and be our best selves. Mm-hmm. And and Leo, when you talk about formal peer groups or, or the communities you're you're surrounded uh, surrounding yourself with, can you just uh, clarify that a little bit? Sure. Um, yeah, there are a number of organizations around the country. There's Vistage, there's YPO, there's EO, uh, TAB is another one, um, and they they exist all over the country in the U.S. and certainly all over the world. Um, Vistage and YPO and um, uh, EO, I now have, uh, you know, peer groups all over the world. And, and what they do is they assemble and facilitate groups of, let's say, CEOs, right? So let's mm-hmm. use that as an example. There's a dozen or CEOs. They put them together in a room. They're all from various industries and, um, you know, different skill sets and all. But because they share a common understanding of what it's like to sit in that chair and make a decision for an entire organization. It's helpful for them to consult with people who do that versus the people who surround them on a daily basis, which are either the direct reports or the board of directors or people like that. So for them to have a peer group um, to support them and talk about how they can get better, that's where formal peer groups play a great role for CEOs, small business owners, business leaders, and they're very effective, they're very powerful, and it's great to see when people take this peer influence that's around us all the time, and the, the very definition of peer advantage is that we're more selective, strategic, and structured about how we engage this powerful force around us, we can experience peer advantage. So this this is what I'm hearing from you. This is this is like a a solution for that is lonely on the top, okay? Because we've heard people say that a lot, and we hear, you know, and I know I was spent 22 years as a CEO, and it's it's hard to find people to talk to. And these formal groups kind of are like I wouldn't want to say coaching groups or or exchange groups where people can learn from each other's experiences at this level. They they really are. It's it's a pretty good description of it. Basically, what happens is they go in the room, they close the door. What happens in the room stays in the room, and they are very um, able to have this safe place where they can talk about their challenges. They can talk about opportunities in front of them. They can get perspectives about how to look at those things that they're not going to get from people, um, you know, or, or in most cases, or at least not going to get it in the same way. Um, mm-hmm. from the same kind of people. So it's it's very um, powerful when you think about um, CEOs, particularly who engage in these groups on a regular basis and what it can mean for them. Mm-hmm. And and when you're thinking about that, okay, so that, that would be formal, and I'm a CEO and I want to, you know, try to exchange ideas, and that really does sound quite powerful. But then on the other hand, when you talk about surrounding yourself with communities, um you're surrounded by associates all the time, and there's informal communities around you at any kind of leadership level. So how how can we better use this also to try to bring ourselves forward? Yeah, I think we uh, oftentimes really choose who we surround ourselves with, who we confide in. It doesn't have to be in a formal peer group. It's reaching out to friends. It's reaching out to people. But it also kind of depends on what it is you want to do. As you know from having read the book, one of the things that's really important is 
if I'm going to, if, if I'm interested in running a marathon, for example, as opposed to learning a new language, I'm going to surround myself with different types of people likely who will help me do those things and will help me accomplish those things. One of the interesting things that came out from the research is University of Scranton uh, here in Pennsylvania in the U.S. did a study that basically said 92% of people who declare a New Year's resolution fail at it. Mm-hmm. And what's fascinating about that, if you think about it, is most people who are trying to declare a New Year's resolution, first of all, it's something that they want for themselves. B, it's not over the top. It's not like they're trying to get to the Olympics in six months. They just maybe want to lose five pounds. So they want to do something that is relatively <laughs> attainable, right? Yeah. And yet to have 92% of people fail at it, and largely it's because we don't typically enlist other people in helping us do that. So in other words, if I had a New Year's resolution, I might say to you, hey, you know, here, here's what I want to do. And here are the things that I want to, you know, try to do to help get there. You know, hopefully you'll be a source of encouragement or maybe you've tried this too and you can give me some advice or you can help me hold myself accountable. And we get a, people around us to do those kinds of things. And as opposed to being left to our own devices where we will often conjure after three or four weeks or whatever, whatever reason, it's like, I didn't really want to do that anyway or I don't feel like I ran out of time. Um, we get other people to say, wait a second now, you said you wanted to do that. So mm-hmm. let, let us help you kind of stay on track. And mm-hmm. it, it can be very powerful. And I know this show, when you talk about it, not just for CEOs, certainly, but a lot of aspiring leaders out there. And I think leaders in terms of aspiring leaders out there who are seeking to be the best self and are um, certainly looking to um, help others be their best selves, this is a way to really think about this notion of, how can we get people to uh, be vulnerable, I guess, a little bit and mm-hmm. show, I think, what, what generosity and courage, I think, is required when we are that way with people. And if we collaborate more effectively and can be our best selves, uh, that could be powerful not only for ourselves as individuals, but for our teams as well. Mm-hmm. And for the, our listeners out there who are aspiring leaders, when you say that, the first thing I think of is, okay, uh, sponsors and mentors, um, surrounding yourself with people you can learn from. But it's not just individuals, also it's groups, isn't it? Sure, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it is really all about making good choices about those things. You know, you talked about at the top of the program, the book, as you know, doesn't necessarily say ditch your, your negative friends. Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> However, it, it does kind of say, be mindful of who you are choosing to spend your time with and what that looks and feels like. So you may not want to dump a lifelong friend, but at the same time, you may not be, you know, spending the majority of your time with them, particularly if you're looking to accomplish, you know, some, some pretty specific goals. Mm-hmm. I think that was a really perfect word, be mindful. I mean, that for me really says something about, you know, as you're going forward and you're making these decisions to be mindful. And with that, Leo, we're going to take a short break. Okay. And when we come back, um, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about how technology is affecting these communities and then um, talk about some of the other things that I've, I've gotten from your book, which was which is really valuable. And for our listeners, we are speaking today with Leo Botari, a sought-after thought leader on peer advantage in emerging discipline dedicated to strategically engaging peers to realize your business and life goals. He is the author 
of a new book which just came out and it's called What Anyone Can Do, How Surrounding Yourself with the Right People Will Drive Change, Opportunity and Personal Growth. Leo can be reached at his website, Leo Batari, and that's B-O-T-T-A-R-Y dot com, leobatari.com. He's on LinkedIn under Leo Batari. And he has other books on Amazon. One of them is The Power of Peers, which came out in 2016. And the second one was What Anyone Can Do. So please go on to Amazon and download his books or purchase them. If I'm kind of a, a, a tech person, I haven't had a, a, a actual book in my hand in a long time. But, uh, but sometimes it could be nice sitting there with a nice book in your hand. So download it or order it. And I'm your host, Kimberly Lewis, CEO and leadership and business expert. You can contact me with questions and comments at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Join our LinkedIn group, Leadership Beyond Borders. Go to my website, leadershipbeyondborders.net. And with that, we'll be right back. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. The robots are coming. The robots are coming. Actually, they're already here. Digital technology just keeps on moving forward at a faster pace. And as human beings, we need to know what's next. Join host Dave Gerber for Preparing for Robots. We take an inside look at AI, robots, and new technology to better prepare you for the future. If you're concerned about your future value and the impact of all things digital on business... You need to listen every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders. I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host, and today we're talking with Leo Batari, a sought-after thought leader on peer advantage and emerging discipline dedicated to strategically engaging peers to realize their business and life goals. He's a popular author and educator, keynote speaker, 
And he just released a new book, What Anyone Can Do, How Surrounding Yourself with the Right People Will Drive Change, Opportunity, and Personal Growth. Now, before before the break, Leo, we you know, we kind of talked about um this the general what got you into to writing the book and how how formal peer groups and informal peer groups are so important. And I have a question. What has technology done to this? I mean, this is all about communication. And we're now, you know, we communicate over iPhones, we communicate um, on laptops, with emails. What has done to this peer group communication? Well, that's a great question. And there's a lot of um, sides to that. First of all, there are platforms being built today that are designed for peer groups to engage one another virtually. Uh, one of them, of course, was developed by a gentleman. His name is Dan Hoffman. He runs a company in New York called Circles. And it's a platform that he developed, uh, essentially. Um, it, it's different from um, you know, WebEx or GoToMeeting or, or even Skype mm-hmm. or something like that, which can be good um, you know, presentation platforms oftentimes, but not always good multi-person conversation platforms. So what he's done is developed a platform like that because he's trying to respond to what he and many others see the need out there. You know, when you consider trends in social media, it isn't always about how many Twitter followers I can get and all that. Is how can I engage people that matter to me in deeper conversations? So on that front, I think that is, um, you know, some there's some very powerful steps forward um, being made there. On the other communication front, you know, you get people a lot of times who will say that, well, this next, this generation of millennials, for example, you know, they're not good writers or they're not good communicators and all of that. And interesting enough, there was a study done um, at Stanford not too many years ago where I, if I have this right, I think it's like literally like 14,000 different documents were analyzed, everything from formal papers to text messages and everything in between. And actually what they really learned was that while, you know, you could make an argument that a lot of the formal, there's been some breakdown in terms of grammar and formal writing and things like that at a, at a certain level. On the other hand, they regarded that generation as actually better communicators, mm-hmm. uh, more clear, more frequent. Um, so to the extent that it is not something that I grew up with in terms of, of, of communication, Um, I think the new generation is working with it well, handling it well, and is finding its way to how to use these tools effectively so they can engage one another. And it's why a platform like Dan Hoffman has built with Circles, I think, really has tremendous potential, um, not only for peer groups, but for anyone looking at um, facilitating virtual teams around the world. It's incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that, that's an important point and um, something I always love to, to, to ask about because of, of these virtual teams. And, and when you talk about, you know, peer groups and communities and everything's virtual, I mean, there are a lot of virtual teams today. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how is that, you know, we have the technology now, they're creating platforms, but, but how is that affecting the engagement? Well, again, I think it can be really positive. You know, in, if you really want to go back to my real interest and my first interest in this whole area, it's when I went back to graduate school. And I went back to graduate school long after I finished my undergraduate degree. And when I did, I went back to an environment that was so different. 
you know, when I, I felt like when I was in college or any school before that, I would sit there and I would listen to the professor or the teacher kind of lecture at me. I would take notes. I would take a test and all. Well, in graduate school, it was much different. You had professors who understood that here I am, you know, in a class among other senior to mid-level, you know, mid to senior level executives. And there's a lot of intellectual capital in that room. So mm-hmm. what you want to do is figure out how do I get these people to learn from one another and, and engage the material, do that, and maybe last, you know, from the professor in many respects, right? And it, it was an incredibly great dynamic to watch in terms of how people engage one another and how people got to know one another well, even though it was an asynchronous online experience. So mm-hmm. we would have residencies every once in a while. We pretty much had one at the beginning, one in the middle, one at the end. But in the course of 19 months, other than meeting the people for the first time, you only saw them once in the middle and once when you kind of went through a final residency and graduation. And yet these people were, were like your best friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, you spent very little physical time with them, but the bonds that you could create engaging in deep conversation with one another online were just amazing to watch. And mm-hmm. so, again, that was one of the things that really got me interested and got me excited about it and also seeing the possibilities of of deep engagement uh, in that way. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's really a positive example. And I have I just a follow-up question on that, um, which just uh, popped into my head. You know, as for our, as we start to build these communities and we use these platforms, um, it seems to me that it takes a little bit more effort from ourselves sometimes to do that because it isn't always as tangible as it would be as if you walked in the room and surrounded you, you surrounded yourself with people or you know worked in the same office with somebody do you think it's just a little bit more effort intensive Sure, but I think mm-hmm. it's well worth it. I mean, mm-hmm. I think the return on investment there, the return on effort is just yeah. really fantastic, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so I, I think that the more we, you know, um, I think ask of ourselves to, to do that, um, I think we find incredible rewards as a result of it. And, you know, I, I see it all the time, whether it's business education or whatever. And also, so one of my podcast guests, for example, was Linda Darling-Hammond. She's one of the top education experts in the world. And, you know, one of the things she talked about was the fact she said, if you get teachers to actually reach out to one another and collaborate uh, effectively, and they get used to doing that really well among one another, they are uh, exponentially more effective at creating those same environments in their classrooms. Mm-hmm. This is no different for CEOs or small business owners, or even if you're leading any kind of a team. The more that you can develop really good muscles and really good skills with regard to reaching out to others and learning how to, you know, listen for understanding and to, um, you know, take in, you know, various perspectives, um, the better we're able to instill that same type of, you know, um, culture and, the, and those values in others. Mm-hmm. And that goes that goes along with what you said in your book, and um, you talked about having a people plan, okay, and in your book, and surrounding yourself with the right people, having a people plan. Could you talk a little bit what you mean by a people plan? Yeah, in the back of the book, I do a people plan basically for individuals and teams, and um, you know, it's you go through that. Uh, the 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 top line of the people plan is that there's three segments to it. And given that, well, sticking with the alliteration of people plan, we have um, basically prepare, plan, and play. You know, and when we prepare, 
It's really about finding someone that we care about, whom we trust, and start engaging in conversations about what we think we really want, you know, in our lives and really trying to get that to a place where we can identify a specific goal and start thinking about the team of people that may be helpful for us, um, you know, for, you know, achieving that goal. Next, when we get into the plan phase of it, um, you know, it's really about now I've got this dream team and now they can help me with making suggestions about, all right, here's this goal I have and how do I make that possible? And we start to map some of those things out. Now, just because you put in your initial plan doesn't mean that if you don't, uh, that, that that's etched in stone. I think the point, uh, a lot of people, as we talked about, left to your own devices, you may put a plan together and not be able to stick to it for whatever reason and then all of a sudden it all goes away. What we talk about here is that when you're engaging with others and you've play, created a plan together and you decide that you've learned some things and want to make some tweaks to it, you know, you tend to change your plan versus get rid of your plan <laughs> under the circumstances, right? And then I think what's really important is identifying and celebrating small wins. There's nothing more important. Oftentimes when we have big goals out there, we just keep looking at that goal, staring at that goal. Boy, it seems hard and it seems... Um, you know, really difficult. And you probably remember from the book, I share a story about my daughters and climbing a mountain and what yes. it can look like when you can reframe a goal and how it can, you know, inspire, you know, energy and, and, and success, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, finally, it's really just getting into the play phase. And I not only did play, of course, fit the um, alliteration I was looking for, but it also makes it so that this isn't drudgery. This isn't like some god-awful thing that we have to do here, that when we have goals for ourselves, it should be fun, you know? So that dream team that we got involved in the, in the beginning, keep leveraging them, keep in, enjoying that. Um, think about opportunities about how you can pay it forward to others. When I had my podcast, for example, so many people I talked to said, talked about the countless people that helped them be successful along the way. While they were not always able to return the favor to those people, they felt it was their obligation to pay it forward to others. And when we do that, and we believe in other people, we have expectations of them, we tend to also understand that people have expectations of us too, and mm-hmm. that we, you know, true to that. And I think finally, um, any of the people that I had on my podcast, as successful as they are, no one would have told you I've arrived, you know, like I've, I've hit this place and, you know, this is what success as some kind of a, as a noun, a stake in the ground looks like. That wasn't it at all. Every one of these people is continuing, is just committed to continuous improvement. They just want to get better all the time. They just want to figure out how they go about doing that. And if you look at any great, I don't care if it's a business team or a sports team, they are as good as they are and they win championships oftentimes not because the, the championship isn't the goal so much as the reward the mm-hmm. goal is how do we keep getting better how do we just yeah. keep getting better and better and better and not compare ourselves just to another team in the league but how do we compare ourselves to what we did yesterday and how can mm-hmm. we be better tomorrow and that's yeah. when we can do some amazing things and and that's using that sports analogy. Um, it made me think about what else you talk about in your book because you know a team is made up of of different kinds of talents. And you you talk about that in this people plan and on your own plan to make sure that you surround yourself and engage with these diverse perspectives. And you you used a super example in there 
um, that, you know, people maybe in our age were brought up, you know, your parents said, my God, don't talk about politics or don't talk about something like that. Okay. I love that example. I had to, I had to laugh when I read that because I could just hear my mother saying that. Okay. You know, but you talk about how different perspectives are important. And can you just say something about that? Yeah, the reason I brought that up in particular is because, first of all, it is so common uh, that may- and maybe, it- presumably, it's common no matter where you live in the world that you get that, uh, you know, I- advice. And some of it, I think, um, in regard to just kind of keeping everything kind of socially smooth, I think, in some respects, too, parents don't always like. Uh, what they're telling their kids being challenged, you know, outside the home. But I, I think the the bottom line is, is that it sets us up for having conversations about things like politics and religion in, in a way that doesn't set us up for trying to learn and understand, you know, why someone may, you know, um, believe in the values of a particular political party or ascribe to a certain religion or wh- whatever that looks like. Because we th- we think it's got to be a debate, it's got to be a fight, it's got to be some positional you know piece that we take, as opposed to just having been taught from a young age that wow, I'd love to learn about the religion of my friend who lives down the street, who's very different from mine because of their family and th- what that looks like for them, and and to learn about that and understand it, and imagine how many barriers we could break down, you know, in this world if we just learned how to understand one another better and didn't vilify, you know, one another or demonize one another based on, you know, uh, you know, beliefs or all kinds of um, situations. So um, I think that, um, yeah, we, we would be in a much better world if we weren't all, you know, hyped up for a fight. Uh, and, <laughs> yeah, no. and, you know, and Leo, it's so, it's so, it's so important today because we work in a global environment today, right? And we, we work with, with different languages, different cultural, cultural backgrounds, um, different religions. And so we have a huge opportunity to learn. And, and that's what I read in your book is, you know, you're saying embrace that opportunity as part of your plan. Well, I mean, you think about, and I think, certainly, again, I go to kind of my generation where I think about parents who were struggling with how to teach their kids the right things, you know, in many respects. And what they would tell you was that, you know, we're all the same, you know, and, and, and what you would do is say, well, that doesn't seem right to me. Not really. Mm-hmm. You know, that person looks really different yeah. from me. That person that, you know, instead of saying, we're all really different. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. <laughs> Let's learn about what, what that is and what that's about. And, you know, what an incredible, colorful, amazing world that we live in because we all, you know, have, have different backgrounds and different experiences growing up. And, and, and to learn about all of those things and what and how we were taught, I think, is, is rather extraordinary. So as the fact that we're not the same is, you know, wonderful news, you know. Yeah, it's a great opportunity. (laughs) Yeah. So we're going to take another break, um, Leo. And when we get back, I want to start to talk about, because we we talked about your plan and prepare, plan, and play, and little wins. And and I want to try to, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, how, how do you, find identify your calling and and do it does everybody have a calling and 
and and I also want to hear. I want to share one story with our with our listeners, um, which is in your book, and I think is fantastic. But I'm not going to tell you which one that is till we get back. Okay, so okay. Um, so for our listeners, we are speaking with Leo Batari, a sought after thought leader on peer advantage in emerging emerging discipline, dedicated to strategically engaging peers to realize your business and life goals, and he's the author of a new book which just came out in September, What Anyone Can Do, How Surrounding Yourself with the Right People Will Drive Change, Opportunity, and Personal Growth. And if you want to reach out to Leo, he has a website, leopatari.com, and that is leo with B-O-T-T-A-R-Y.com. He's on LinkedIn, and you can get his books on Amazon, and his other books are The Power of Peers, which was from 2016, and What Anyone Can Do from 2018. And I'm your host, Kimberly Lewis, and you're listening to Leadership Beyond Borders, and with that, we'll be right back. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders, and I'm Kimberly Lewis, your host. And today we're speaking with Leo Batari, a sought-after thought leader on peer advantage in an emerging discipline that is dedicated to strategically engaging peers to realize business and life goals. So, Leo, we've been kind of all over the board, and this has just really, really <laughs> been a great discussion. Um, and we've been talking about individual plans, and, and we talked about how surrounding yourself with groups and how how 
these communities can help you. And um, in your book, you tell a story about how uh, inf- influential communities and peers can be. And you told a story about your daughter when she was quite young. And I'd like you to share that story because I just thought it was really a great story with our listeners. I, I will. And, um, you know, for, for some context on that, I, I tell that story oftentimes in a lot of workshops when I want to talk about the fact that peer influence for us starts really, really young. And um, first of all, we our need to be around other people um, starts when we're born. I mean, we need air, food and water, but we need human contact in order to thrive. And so, you know, as we grew up, though, you have kids who really look to one another and it starts at a very early age. So the story you mentioned actually involves involved my daughter. Um, I, I'll put a picture up of her on the um, on the screen. And of course, I always joke about the fact that this is not a recent photo of her. Taylor's <laughs> 28 years old today, but she was four and a half when I picked her up from childcare. It was Halloween night. And um, so it was like, okay, uh, time to, you know, pick Taylor up. And next thing you know, the woman who's sitting at the desk says, the director would like to have a word with you before Taylor goes home. And I'm thinking, oh, no, like, what happened? <laughs> like, it was something, you know, what incident took place that would require this kind of a conversation, right? So I ended up, um, so I'm waiting for a moment. Anyway, the director came out. She said, I've got to tell you what happened today. She said, we had a party for the kids. It was about 3 o'clock. And they had these crafts and treats and music and all the kind of stuff with the little ones. And had about 20 to 25 kids around the table. And um, they thought it would be a fun idea to have this woman dress up as a witch and kind of entertain the little ones. So sure enough, the witch came in and apparently she was a little too authentic for some of the preschoolers. So one of the kids just looks at her as horrified, you know, starts to cry. Then the next kid starts to cry and the next kid it spread like wildfire fire across the room. Teachers are running around, they're trying to calm the kids down, they're hysterical. Taylor apparently is watching this, and she runs to the front of the room. She puts her arms over her head, makes herself real big, and she says, it's okay. She's not real. There's no need to be afraid. And the kids start looking at Taylor, and they're looking at one another, and they're like, huh. And they collect themselves, and they get back around the table, and the witch days, and everybody (laughs) did their thing. So, of course, to hear this story was fun, because obviously as a dad, it's not like I ever told Taylor that if your kids ever get worked up in your classroom, you need to step up and deal with it. But, you know, when I see, hear, and think about that story today through the lens of, of peers, you know, I'll, I'll ask the people in the workshop oftentimes, so what was it that caused all the ruckus, you know? And a lot of times people will answer fear or they'll answer the witch or whatever. And then, of course, someone almost always brings up, it was the first kid. The first mm-hmm. kid who cried sends a signal to everyone else that something here is not right. <laughs> it's not <laughs> something we need to be worried about. Uh, by the same token, although clearly the teachers would have restored order eventually, you know, I think the, the argument could easily be made, especially as that story, you know, was told to me back from the teachers that it happened a heck of a lot faster when one of their own got up and said, we're good. Like, yeah. we're okay. <laughs> and it's, it's very, very amazing, you know, how that, um, how that works and how we really are looking to one another for, um, you know, our comfort, our safety, our happiness. I mean, you know, so many things that we uh, rely on one another for. And it's not just when we're kids either. And, you know, I often communicated, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about some research that was done by a team 
uh, both in terms of uh, you know hotel towels and another experiment with regard to um, a New York City subway station, where in the New York City subway station, for example, um, they basically looked at how much money a banjo player was making over the course of X number of hours, and then what they decided to do was intervene. And what they did was, let's say you were showing an interest in the banjo player. If I were in the research team, I would walk up, listen close by for a minute. I'd throw some money in and I'd walk away. What they learned was that you were eight times more likely, you and people like you were eight times more likely to throw money in the banjo case when someone else did it. Yet, when they interviewed you and people like you afterwards and said, hey, um, why did you throw money in the banjo case? You'd give every reason in the world other than the fact that you saw someone else do it. Uh, this is no different than when we see a tip jar in a Starbucks or anything yeah. like that. If there's money in there already, it's going to inspire other people to to do it. But we we very much, you know, operate that way and look to one another for those kinds of things, and we do it our whole lives. Mm-hmm. And and um, yeah, that's that is exactly what came up to me when I when I heard that story and thinking it. What really did start it was the first kid, but I came out with with another thing from that story, which which is something that you also talk about in your book, um, because this is a great example of social social dynamics and and why you do things. But the other thing I came out is I don't. Your daughter is Taylor. Is that what you said? Yes. Because yes. the name is on the book. So I don't know what Taylor does today. But the other thing I came out was with wow this little girl um maybe there are such thing as born influencer or born leaders and and you talk about that in your book when you talk about putting together your own plan um do you think that that people actually do have obvious callings and and sometimes you know is it why is it so hard for people to maybe identify their calling you talk a little bit about that yeah, so the, uh, two things in there. Uh, one, I'll speak to, to Taylor's story in terms of whether I think that people have natural gifts um, as leaders, and I don't think there's any question about that. Um, however, um, Taylor is a leader in her organization today, but she'd be the first one to tell you that over many, many years, and she, she continues to be a student of leadership. No matter how good you are at it, how inclined you are to want to be in the front of that room, if you will, um, or be leading a team, there's a lot to be learned around that. Um, so I, I think that um, you, you've got a lot of people who may not be natural leaders necessarily, but they can learn how to be really good leaders. Um, mm-hmm. And um, I think regarding the calling, um, that, that's a fascinating one. As you know, um, I talk a lot about Laura Goodrich and her uh, book, Seeing Red Cars, mm-hmm. and this idea about how people are really good at identifying what they don't want, but not really what... <laughs> Yeah, um, but Raphael Gordon, who I talk about in the book, now Raphael was a kid who spent a fair bit of his childhood homeless and didn't always have the greatest examples around him for a long time. And, um, you know, really, you know, just pursued, you know, um, a, a life where he just wanted to be in service to others and help others and felt that this, that my calling is somehow to be a positive influence in other people's lives. And today, you know, he's uh, he speaks all over the world and speaks uh, to young people. Uh, and it just basically inspires them to be their best selves. And, and he just feels like he was born on this earth to do that. You know, and Seku Andrews, the poetic voice that, um, as you know, we, we talked about er- earlier in the book, you know, here's a guy who looked at being a lawyer, looked at being a teacher, looked at being all of these things that had names, 
right? We, we grew up as kids and we, we say, okay, you can be a fireman, a policeman, a teacher, a lawyer, a doctor, all these things that have specific IDs. And what he ended up finding for himself and his calling was something that really didn't have one of those monikers, right? He created a whole new career for himself as a, as a poetic voice. And he speaks to some of the largest organizations in the world using his gift to be able to frame uh, a narrative in a way that is extremely powerful and extremely exciting and, and, and has real substance to it as well. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a, those are two really great examples. And so, you know, I mean, there are talent, there is obvious calling. And, but if I go back to, I think the important thing that we have to keep in perspective too is when I come back to your talk about your people plan, you talked about small wins and, and you talked about expectation goals um, and the yin and yang of expectations and goals. And so could you just, um, as we're going through this journey, what do you mean by the yin and yang of expectations and goals? So I think that there's a, the, the, there's a kind of a real push-pull relationship there. We have expectations of ourselves, and we have pretty lofty goals, and sometimes we have trouble um, you know, squaring those two things. Mm-hmm. So w- when I told the story, for example, about my daughters, I think it really served as a, as a great metaphor for what we all confront. Now, this is whether we're alone or whether we're with other people. And, and this was a day where I took them. They wanted to climb a mountain in Colorado. It was a 12,800-foot peak. It was no easy thing to do. Uh, it was considered doable for someone their age and, you know, um, and all. But, but still, you know, you're going to climb that high. It's, a, it's mm-hmm. a big deal. They wanted to be at the summit. They wanted to know what that view looks like. Now, all of a sudden, you've got to actually do what it takes to make that possible. So we get an hour to that climb. You know, as as you know, and they're like, "Holy smoke! This is, this is exhausting. This is really difficult." And and they're looking at that peak and like, "That's a long way away." And they're thinking, "We're not even close." So we climb for fifteen more minutes, climb for twenty, and they're you know, and I've got one of them saying, "Oh, I think the view's pretty good from here," and someone else you know worried about like a little white puff of cloud saying, "Is that weather we need to worry about? We need to get down off the mountain." It's like, "No, no, no, we're we're okay." So, but sure enough. They got to a point where I'm looking at them, they are exhausted. I'm thinking, no way are they going to make it uh, yeah. up there. But I just wanted them to try to see if I could kind of reframe things for them a little bit. So I said, look, you guys are constantly staring at the peak. I said, why don't we do this? I said, give me 10 more minutes and, you know, 10 or 15 more minutes, whatever it was. And if you get to 10 or 15 more minutes and you're done, then, then we'll just go back down. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, but first, we're going to mark kind of where we are. And there was this rather large bush where we were, and we just said, okay, well, let's go. So we climb, and of course, at the dot of whatever you know time, I said, all right, we're done climbing. Uh, they were like, all right, that's it. We did our, we did our time. <laughs> and they said, see, look at that mountain peak. Exactly the same distance as it was you know, 10 or 15 minutes ago. I said, look behind you. And they looked at that bush, and it was like a dot on the landscape. And they were wow. like, oh, God, look how far mm-hmm. we well, – they had no idea – that as they yeah. were putting one foot in front of the other, and even though it was difficult, they were making incredible progress. And the more mm-hmm. that we now took on the rest of the climb in terms of marking where we were and creating small wins around this, they got up to the peak of that mountain that day uh, without any difficulty. And wow. when they got to the top and they, they felt what that was like, not only the accomplishment of doing it, but the reward for the, the landscape that they got to view that day, 
they think about that every time they have any kind of a tough challenge or any kind of a longer term goal or anything they're dealing with. They know that if I just keep putting one foot in front of the other and I start marking small wins and declaring victory along the way, I can keep myself both physically and emotionally um, you know, engaged in this and, and I'm going to get there. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm absolutely going to get there and they have that confidence as well. But you know, that day, the three of us were together and we give each other the confidence to do mm-hmm. that. Um, and uh, this is where our, you know, having people around us who through their experience or just the way they see the world or just offering a different perspective can provide us a way of looking at something that can change our actual ability to do it. Wow. And Leo, that is a really powerful ending because we're, we're getting to the end. And I think you just said it. I mean, that one step at a time, surround yourself with the groups, um, prepare the plans, a, a really nice way to end this discussion. Um, I want to thank you so much. And, and that story is fantastic, really fantastic. It has just inspired me. So um, <laughs> thank you so much for being with us today. And for our listeners, we have been talking with Leo Batari. He's a sought after thought leader on peer advantage and emerging discipline dedicated to strategically engaging peers to realize business and life goals. He's a popular author, educator, keynote speaker, and workshop facilitator. He advises individuals, organizations worldwide. His second, his uh, new book just came out in September. It's called What Anyone Can Do, How Surrounding Yourself with the Right People Will Drive Change, Opportunity, and Personal Growth. Leo can be reached at leobatari.com, and that is B-O-T-T-A-R-Y.com. And he's also on LinkedIn under Leo Batari. And his books are on Amazon, and his other two books are The Power of Peers and What Anyone Can Do. And Leo, with that ending story, once again, thank you so much. And the next time I have to go hiking, with, which is something my husband likes to do, I'm going to do it that way, okay? <laughs> because I always look at that peak, okay? <laughs> so thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. Okay. For our listeners, I'm Kimberly Lewis, and please tune in to us each week. I have a range of great guests on this series, and... We also are on Google Play and iTunes, so if you can't tune in live, please download us. We're happy to bring the program into your business, and we do also do at Leadership Beyond Borders, we do workshops, and we do them on different continents and multiple languages, and I'm happy to come join your event or talk to you about my global experiences and how we grasp some changes in this world through good leadership. Leadership Behind Borders is a program sponsored by Global Business Therapy and the Women's Leadership Academy 2020 that does executive coaching for women and provides leadership training, systemic team coaching certification, and motivational speaking. Please contact me, Kimberly Lewis. Send me a mail at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail or visit my website at leadershipbeyondborders.net. Like us on Facebook. Connect with me, Kimberly J. Lewis, on Twitter, and I hope to see from you, hear from you. And tune in next week for our next episode. And thank you for listening. Thank you.
Thank you for joining us on Leadership Beyond Borders. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Kimberly J. Lewis, on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.